Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Um, I think it's really important that we understand the context of what Paul is writing into. And so in, you know, Ephesus was this, this incredible place of commerce and culture, and, and uh, it, was, uh, it, it was Greek, it was, had you know, this Roman culture, uh, and um, particularly in terms of what we're going to be looking at tonight, the, the culture that he was speaking into was one of the pater familias. Anyone know what that is? It's the rule of the father, basically. This is the this is the whole culture. This is the this was the system upon which society and families functioned. And one of the biggest, actually, one of the biggest criticisms of the early church from the culture around them was that you're breaking up the family. You're wrecking how it works. You're breaking the rules. And that was one of the biggest kind of uh, criticisms uh, of the church at the time. Because they, they were completely wrecking this system, this pater familias, this authority and rule of the father. It was the kind of thing where only after the death of the father or husband was a woman even allowed to vaguely kind of deal with her own affairs, which is get on with life, get up in the morning, I'll go shopping today. You know, they, they couldn't do anything unless they had permission, unless they were given permission by the, by the, by the man of the house. Kind of thing. Love was considered either irrelevant or ridiculous. Marriage was to produce children, not to produce friendship. It was um, very rare that a, a man would be kind of would have fidelity, would 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 be and would honour his, his wife and, and stay with, with, with that one wife. And wives were very much practical, not precious. And there's a guy called Cicero who um, was a Roman philosopher and politician, lawyer, orator, political theorist, consul, and constitutionalist. I know what probably half of those things are, which is awesome. Um, But he said this. Just let this soak in. No, don't. Um, He said, Our ancestors, in their wisdom, considered that all women, because of their innate weakness, should be under the control of guardians. Anyone feel a bit awkward about that? <laughs> Good, not just me. Why don't we stand together? If you able, yeah, yeah, stand up. Um, I want you to stand there like you're a crowd in Ephesus, and some dude has come and he's got this letter from this random guy, Paul, and he's going about to read it to you. And you have this mindset. I want you, if you can, just for a moment, not for very long, to imagine that you would have heard Cicero in BC. 43 or whenever it was before he died, saying, you know, our ancestors in their wisdom considered that all women, because of their innate weakness, should be under the control of God. And you're like, yeah, hmm, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Or even if, you, even if you weren't really cool with that, you're like, yeah, well, no, no, yeah, that is the way that it is. Yeah. Can you have that mindset for me just for a minute? Not for long, because it's rubbish, but just, just for a moment. And I want to read to you what Paul said, and I want you to try and see if you can respond in your heart in the way that possibly the people at the time would have responded. Is that cool? Great. And it's good to stand up when the Bible's being read as well. So this is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, and it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the the whole thing. So Paul is like, this is almost like the title of what he's about to say. This is the summary of everything, is submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as, the, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. I think that's talking about sex. And the two will become one flesh. Um, this is a profound mystery. which is, It's not saying it's, it's still a mystery. It's saying this was a mystery that God has revealed. So check this out. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Okay. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time in that culture? Can you imagine how revolutionary that would have been? Can you imagine how much that would have rocked the world? Rocked your world? Imagine, well it's not, you don't have to, it's like, that's why it came under so much criticism, because it took the system and the hierarchy and it completely did away with it. and said, there's a new way. Can we just honour the word and sit down? Honour it a little bit more. Yay! The word of God. So, um, so we all submit. That's the context. That's the whole thing. That is, that is what he's saying. So don't get lost in the detail of like, well, why is, well, I'm a woman. Why should I submit? And why should men love? And all this kind of stuff. He's like, man. He's saying we all submit. That's the deal. And we'll, we'll kind of unpack that, unpack that a little bit in a minute. So um, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wife. We're going to look at some Greek. Everyone up for that? Yes. We're up for the Greek. Um, Again, this is semantics and all that kind of stuff is just a minefield. It's crazy. I was reading all kinds of um, commentaries and different people say different things and all that kind of stuff. So I basically decided the best one, and I'm going to tell you. No, um, I, I, you know, tried to compare everything, and, and, and I want to come to you with what I believe honestly is a helpful way forward. Hupotasso um, is the word used for submit and. Um, you know, often this has been preached in, the, in a way of underlining that guys are in charge, really. You know, as much as we let girls come and play in our, in our park, actually, we're the ones who are the bosses. And so they should really submit to us and come under our authority and all that kind of stuff. Um, now, um, there are loads of different ideas about this, um, what this word really means, um, but what it... In comparing loads of different things, and what it kind of seems to shuffle down to is this idea of it being a military term. So rather than it being a statement of authority, it is actually a statement of process. 
in that, what it's saying is that it's about coming under the mission of. Now, I think this is really important. And I don't... I, rem- I remember being like 17. I've never kissed a girl. Girls were scary. Girls were weird. They did weird stuff. They, you know, smelled weird and had like hair. I was like, what? I don't understand girls. Um, and uh, <laughs> totally true. Absolutely terrified me. And, um, and I remember thinking when I was like, if, if only, you know, if I could just get a girlfriend then life would be great, it'd be awesome, you know, because that seems to be cool, and kissing looks cool, although it's, I don't really watch people kiss because that's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and I, I think I definitely, I got into a bit of a trap of thinking, oh, it'll be okay when, you know? And, and I, I want to be careful about speaking to, to single people um, because I'm not single, I'm married, and... Um, I want to hopefully be real as well and um, being somebody that has had a real journey in terms of relationships, of not having relationships, of having a relationship that went badly wrong and marrying a girl who had an affair and did all that kind of stuff and didn't want to work it out, so that went wrong and then not being with anyone for a while and being single for a while and then finally finding... uh, is that me? Sorry. And then finally finding somebody um, to share life with. But I want to just put a window into that, if that's okay. Um, and that is that um, I think you can get lost in the kind of paralysis of if only. And you, kind of, you, can, you can wait around and, 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 and pause, put your life on pause. And, and actually what I found is when I got to the place of putting myself under the mission of Christ... And I finally got to a place of like, actually, I'm really content right now. I'm really fulfilled right now. I, I, this is awesome. <laughs> Annoyingly, in a sense, it was then that I met Lucy. <laughs> it was in that place of like, do you know what? I feel good about life. I, I, I've, I put myself under the mission of Christ. I joined Eden and I was, I was just going for it and, and, and loving it. And... Um, in that place of finally putting all that kind of oh, if only kind of stuff down is when I then you know met Lucy and I think that that's 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 not a I'm not saying that that's a a process or a kind of a an ABC of how to get a girlfriend or anything like that um, what I'm saying is when you find yourself under the mission of Christ suddenly you find yourself walking with other people. And it's those people that you need to take notice of. This is a bit of dating advice for you. Take notice of those people. Those are the people walking with you because more so than the randomers, they will get you. They will honour you. And those are the kind of people that I want people to be people with. Does that make sense? I, I, I've said that awkwardly because I was nervous about saying that, if I was to be honest. I don't want to assume to know anything. I don't assume to know your story. Um, but I would say, above and beyond anything, put yourself under the mission of Christ. Go for it. Now, girls, you are powerful. You will change this world. You are precious. You are princesses of the king. You have 
a story to play out. You have a movie to finish. You have a, a plan for your life that is to prosper you, not to harm you. So just live it. Run into it. Be abandoned to it. And see what Jesus does. Um, <clears throat> so what about the head thing? That's the most, always been the most awkward one for me. Um, the, the man is the head. He is the head of the household. He is very heady and um, has a large head. My head's slightly larger because I've got massive hair at the moment. I don't know what's going on with it. But um, I, I, mean, I think I've gained an inch. I'm quite happy about it. I'm now slightly above average height for a male. Um, <clears throat> so um, the word head is this, it's this Greek word, kephale. I don't think that's how you say it, but it's something like that. And um, uh, the, this, uh, this word, more than any, I think has got the most contention. Uh, and uh, there's lots of different opinions from, from the whole, this is about ruling, ruling and dominance and authority over um, and, that, and that kind of stuff. Some, uh, some theologians talk about it being like the source or the cornerstone, that the guy is the cornerstone of the household, they're kind of holding stuff together and, and that kind of thing. But again, I feel like that could have some misinterpretation. Um, it's really important when you're doing, reading your Bible, um, to not just, I guess is, if you want to go deeper, if there's a word that troubles you, go deep into it. Look at where that author uses that word in another context. Look at the co-text, you know, the text that surrounds that word to give you a window into what was he really wanting to say, rather than just looking at it through our cultural lens of that word. If I was to say, my nan was gay, does it might make you feel a bit awkward? <laughs> for me to say that. Um, but she was very, very happy. Um, and for her generation, that was a very appropriate word to use. But, but just a, a few decades on, it doesn't tell her story. Um, does that make sense? Probably not a great example. Um, but imagine that over thousands of you know, a couple of hundred years or thousands of years of culture changing and shifting, and we use the word head, and it's like, well, we, we think head, we think hierarchy, we think, you know, oligarchic systems and all this kind of stuff. Uh, whereas, actually, the way that Paul is using it and the way that he has used it in other passages like in Galatians and the way that it has the feel and flavour in this passage talks about kafale as something as being responsible for and for the benefit of. That I am my wife's husband for her benefit, that I would serve her. And imagine that in the context that we talked about before, of the culture that they were part of before, and how groundbreaking that idea would be. Um, and Paul goes on, doesn't he, as I said, painting this picture of what does, it, what does this really mean? What does it really look like? I mean, he talks about washing and, and cleansing and, and preparing and all this kind of stuff. He's not saying that, you know, guys, you can, you can save your wives. He's not saying that. Um, He's talking, you know, yes, yes, Christ saves the church, but what he's saying is in the way that Christ brought salvation, the choice that he made not to be, you know, like in the, the temptations to be the economic saviour and turn a uh, stone into bread, not to be a saviour of signs and wonders and jump off the, the uh, <laughs> doesn't, he wouldn't have jumped like that, I don't think, jump off the temple or to be a, 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 a an a kind of autocratic saviour and to uh, rule the nations, you know. He's saying he didn't choose those things. He chose to be the suffering servant. And he chose and he demonstrated that when he washed his disciples' feet. And I think that's the kind of washing 
that Paul is insinuating, that Paul is talking about. Because in a household, you would have servants, that was part of, that, part of the culture at the time, and you'd have people that you know, dealt with your, your, your bank account, you'd have people that, that uh, cooked your food and um, you know, looked after the house, looked after your kids and all that kind of stuff. You'd have people that cleaned the toilets, that scrubbed the drains and all that kind of stuff. And all the way down the bottom, you had people that, that washed the feet when you came in from your dusty day out in Ephesus. And Paul is saying, husbands, be the head of your wife. Serve her. Husbands, exist for her benefit. Lay yourself down for her. Get on your hands and knees and wash her feet. Does that make sense? And this is the picture that that, that Paul is bringing in. That's what headship is. That's what biblical headship is. That um, we serve. And again, all in the balance and all in the context of we all submit. You can see how Paul's framing this whole discussion. And so I really want to... It's hard because we, have so, we, we hear a word and we, we have our semantic or we have our lens of it. But the, we, we need to try and pull ourselves into a place of understanding the culture that it was being spoken into and the intention um, that was being uh, driven through, as he said, what he said. Um, so, Paul is awesome. Um, and I believe, I've got a little theory, that Paul is the original love language guru. <laughs> that you go to him for all your relational needs. Um, you know, love language, like physical touch, acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts and all that kind of stuff. Have you heard of all that before, yeah? If you do the marriage course, um, you, you deal with all of that stuff and work out what your love languages are. It's very funny. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what I am. Um, and Paul is... In using, I believe, in using these two different words of um, uh, submission and love, and the word that he's using, by the way, of love is agape, which is the, the love that serves. It's the love that prefers someone else before yourself, that puts someone else first. It's that kind of love. It sounds very similar. Um, but the reason I feel like he's using this language is because he knows, he seems to know bizarrely what men and women need, what they need to hear. And I'm going to use some generalizations, so forgive me for that, but there's, there's some research to back it up, and it's just what I'm going to say, so deal with it. Um, so Paul is talking about what men and women need. Um, men, tell me if I'm wrong, you, you got us guys. <laughs> we need to know that we're competent, that we're helpful, that we're useful. That we're needed and respected. Anyone testify to that? Mm. Um, women, you need to know that you're precious, that you are desired, that you're valuable, that you're loved. Now, I'm not saying that one doesn't need the other. This is, this is about kind of first preference, in a sense. Okay? So it's not that women don't need to be competent, helpful, useful, needed, and, and respected, but there's something about about the idea of your value that is central to you understanding who you are. 
as much as guys need to feel like, I can do this. In fact, even in like, um, child development, you know, you, you're kind of naught to 18 months is all about connection and love and safety and, you know, you cleave and you get most of that connection from your mum. Um, and then you, you, you go from 18 months to four years and that's much more about, um, am, I, am I beautiful? Am I, am, I, am I precious? Am I valuable? You know, and then four to nine is more about, am I competent? So yeah, I noticed with my four-year-old, they're like, Daddy, watch me do this. And she's like doing crazy gambles off the sofa. But she wants me to see her and go, oh, yay, that's really good. Because she's looking for me to affirm her competency. Yeah? And it's at that point in a child development where a kid will shift their focus from their mom to their dad a little bit more. And it's, you know, it goes back and forth and all that kind of stuff. But you can see kind of how there's a connection in there. Um, so... Um, I think this is, let's unpack this a little bit. I think that um, anyone ever had anyone tell, any, anyone, any guy ever been, been in a car and be like, and someone said to him, so, uh, so we're lost then. Anyone ever had that? Navigation, holy cow. And um, what you hear, I don't know if this is just me, but what you hear is, you are incompetent, <laughs> stupid man who should have looked at the sat-nav or should have checked a map or done something before we left because now we're lost and it's all your fault. That's what you hear. You're rubbish. Yeah? Um, what about, does my bum not begin this? Anyone ever had that question asked to them? It's just frightening. My bum clenches when I get asked that question because what you know is being asked is, am I beautiful? Tell me that I'm beautiful! That's what's going on. And it's terrifying. You know, guys, you need to have opinions about stuff. You know, the, the, the antithesis of love isn't hate. The antithesis of love is indifference. So when she asked you, is it the blue one or the pink one? What do you think? Don't go, <laughs> That is not an appropriate response. Get your shoulders down and have an opinion. Love the blue one, hate the pink one. It kind of doesn't matter, but just have an opinion. Okay? Get involved in the conversation. She's drawing you into her world of clothing that's just a crazy mystery. Okay? Have an opinion. It's part of honoring. That's another thing of child development. They want you to validate their questions. When a kid's saying, oh, daddy, 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 why are monkeys blue? And they burn, and you go, oh, I don't know, babe, whatever. You, know, you validate questions that the kids ask you. It's the same thing, you know, when, if, if a girl asks you which dress, just stop what you're doing. Turn Netflix off, wash your face, go into the room, and have a flipping opinion about it, okay? That's the best advice I can give you in life. Um, you know, in leadership, when a man is asked to lead something, do you know what his first question is? What's the task? Yeah. What are we going to do? When a woman's asked to lead something, their first question often is, cool, 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 who, who, who else is getting involved? Who am I going to do this with? Who am I in relationship with? Who am I connected to? What's going on? Can you see the kind of nuances and, and the differences? Um, let's unpack a little bit this idea of love and respect, Okay. This kind of, um, yeah, uh, sub- submission and love, love and respect. I think, you know, Paul ends the chapter about saying that women need to respect their husbands. It's the same kind of, kind of thing. Brenny Brown, in her research, has found that women 
for women, your greatest trigger for shame is your appearance and your body image. It's your biggest trigger for shame. And we'll unpack why in a minute. Men, your biggest trigger for shame is the appearance of weakness. Yeah? It's interesting that when um, we're thinking about what do you most want to hear, you want to hear that you are precious, desired, valuable, loved. And your biggest trigger for shame is your, your appearance and your phys- physical body um, and your body image. Whereas for guys, your biggest trigger for shame is the appearance of weakness. And the thing you need the most is to appear competent, helpful, useful, needed, and respected. It's interesting, isn't it? So the problem is that um, shame, relationally, is powerfully destructive. Here's a definition of shame. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Shall we read that again? So shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something that we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And shame is so easy to come by. I feel shame when I wake up in the morning, usually because Lucy's got up with the kids first, and I wake up and I'm like, you're so lazy! <laughs> I feel shame all the time. All the time. I feel shame whenever I forget to do something, like email someone back or text them. I forget when I've done something stupid, said something stupid, when I've um, berated a, someone in the office because I, I'm basically just feeling rubbish about myself, so then I kind of break out and go, well... I was obviously right about this thing, and blah, 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 and just so rubbish, and all that kind of stuff, and belittling somebody else because of my own shortcomings, and I, you know, I, I get angry about stuff, I get you know, indignant about things, because you know, it's important to be right about stuff, isn't it? And all that kind of stuff. I feel shame every time I raise my voice to my children, which I don't know, if, I, I, I try not to, and I hate doing it, but their face, I know in the millisecond of me going, babe, come on. Take the fork out of your sister's bum, or whatever it is that they're doing. You know, or, and, it's the, and for me, it's often the things that they've done time and time and time again. I'm like, oh, come on, you know? And I say, in the millisecond, I see their face and their little lip quivers. I'm like, I am such a bad father, you know? And, and, and it's, I feel shame every time they don't know, without a doubt, that they're the most precious thing to me. I feel shame every time Lucy isn't just like, just doesn't walk around like the most cherished individual on the planet. Do you know what I mean? Um, I feel shame about it. I feel shame when I'm indifferent towards her. I feel shame when I'd rather watch Netflix than have a conversation with her. I feel shame all the time. I feel shame whenever I think something stupid or whether I do something idiotic or whether I um, say something inappropriate, which happens a lot. You know, I feel shame about it. And all of those sources of disconnection. I can't remember the last day that I didn't have a day with, with, with shame. From pooing where I probably shouldn't have done when I was a kid, all the way through to standing here talking about poo when I was a kid. <laughs> um, it's crippling, isn't it? Anyone else feel the same? Yeah. It's crippling. The beautiful thing is God has come to make a difference. Um, in, the, in our relationships, I really believe that our goal should always be connection. And so shame is kind of like the opposite of that, or it produces the opposite of that, doesn't it? If, if, if shame is this thing that we've, um, you know, something we've experienced, done or failed to do that makes us unworthy of connection, 
wow, we've got to break it. We've got to break the shame thing. And one of the difficult things in a marriage, uh, I don't know whether anyone can, can kind of agree with this, or not even in a marriage, in, in relationships generally, the, sh- the, dis- the disconnection happens because we retreat. So <clears throat> if a guy feels disrespected, he re- withdraws and he retreats. He avoids the vulnerability of affection. Yeah? Uh, and then he just focuses on the tasks. It's like, oh, as long as I can get through the to-do list, I'll be safe. You know, if I can make it to the day and please her and kind of avoid any kind of conflict, then everything's going to be okay. And the other flip of that is that sometimes guys can be angry and respond. And when we feel like we're not being respected and we feel belittled, we can often act out in anger, which then actually produces even more distance because there's a sense of, like, I don't feel safe with you. Um, when a woman doesn't feel loved, she retreats to a place of independence. Anyone ever do this? I can do this on my own. Oh, I don't need him. You know? Anyone do that? No, never. Never. <laughs> I never do that. Um, I think it's a bit of a maternal thing, which is like, actually, if the guy's a t- total douchebag, she still needs to make sure the kids are okay and that everything's okay and everything will be okay, so therefore I need to make sure that I can do it on my own. Yeah? Problem is, it's the worst thing. Both of those responses are the worst thing because when the, when the woman retreats into that place of, I don't need him, I can do that without him. What does, what does the guy hear? He hears, she doesn't need me. Oh, no. I'm, I'm just, I, I feel lost. I, I don't have a place anymore. You know? and, and there are these flickers of, of light for a guy when the girl says, I've just had a really bad day today. And you're like, ba-ba-da-ba, this is my chance. I will put my pants on the outside of my trousers and come in and fix it. Yes, I will fix your problem. Tell me all about it and I will give you the solution. This is what I'm here for. And guys respond like that because we are ready to fix stuff for you. And all the, the girls there are like, like, don't tell me what to do or how to fix it in numpty. Just give me a hug and tell me if it's going to be okay. I just want you to come close. Me saying I've had a bad day isn't for you to kind of stand over here and go, well, what you could do really in that situation is uh, <laughs> she wants you to come in and embrace, hold her and go like, it's okay, babe, I'm, that really sucks. I'm so sorry. I'm just going to hold you for a bit. Yeah? But when the girl says, when, when the guy starts, I'm going to tell you what to do. They're like, oh, he's just getting all again. And there's this loss of connection. Lost of connection. Um, I got a bit excited then, I've lost my place. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when we get into this cycle, what, what happens is this, this downgrade of communication. And, you know, so it's kind of like, I don't, I don't need you, I'm going to do this on my own. And she's like, oh, she doesn't need me, so I'm going to back over here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to kind of suggest maybe having sex tonight because she just seems a bit antsy. Anybody ever... No, you know, you know that... I've gone to a bad place. You know when... Have you noticed how powerful the word, the word hey can be? Have you ever noticed that? So I come out from work and I'm like, hey babe, you know, chipper, and she's there in the kitchen. Hey. <laughs> and I'm like, I go from this to like, oh, what are we going to do? You know, he's like, awkward, awkward moment. I feel like an awkward dinosaur. <laughs> Oh no! I mean, it was all going to be great. We're going to have a great evening. And then she gave me, hey. It's powerful, isn't it? 
The distance being like, hey, oh, hey. Yeah? It's like, it's a different thing. I'm like, hey. And it's like, the walls aren't up. The defenses aren't up. Does that make sense? Great. And if you, if you keep doing that, you get further and further and further away from each other. Because it, and it's not like anything's gone crazy wrong. It's that actually, if you're allowed, you've allowed this disconnection to come in, and you've made something other than connection your goal. You've made an easy life. No conflict, or um, <clears throat> being right, having the answers. You've made those things your goal. And it just doesn't work. Um, part of what happens in that is the way that we communicate with one another. So you downgrade your communication from being able to communicate with emotions to being communicating simply with information, facts, and opinion. So you've got to like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, so where was it today, babe? Yeah, it's Manchester. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? I don't know anything about politics. I was going to make an analogy about politics then. What do you think about that guy with the blonde hair? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he's a bit of an idiot, yeah. Um, but I don't know anything. So, but you, but you, you communicate in that realm of just facts and detail and, and uh, opinion about stuff. Um, uh, Danny Silk, you know, uses this example of when you're in the car, and I'm driving in the car, and I can play my PlayStation, and um, <laughs> I always know when there's going to be a conversation because this happens. <laughs> Lucy grabs, you know, the little... Panic handles. I don't know what's that for. The little, the little thing that comes down like this by the window. I don't know what that's for. Apart from to make me feel like a douchebag because it's like just <laughs> driving like an idiot, right? That's what she does. So I'm there driving, thinking, "Wee, you know, whoa, we're going to slip through that gap because you know, <laughs> you know, thinking Mario Kart. I'm going to send out a little red mushroom, whatever it is." And she, um, she's like this. And um, you're such a bad driver. <laughs> it's information and it's opinion. Okay? So I'm like getting all the No, babe, I'm a great driver. Check me out, man. I'm just driving and I'm cool. I'm sticking through the gaps. I'm going through it. It's cool. I'm a, I've been driving. I have never had an accident. I only got two... What is it? Points? No, what is it? Minors. Two minors. Two, I only got two minors on my driving test. Passed first time. Did you pass first time? No. <laughs> I'm a very good driver. It's my... That's my good driving lunge pose. I'm a very good driver. Um, and she is like, but you're such a bad driver. And I just feel, I then get defensive and I feel like, oh man, she's, she thinks I'm a bad driver. That's really bad. I'm a great driver. And then you start driving a bit faster just to wind her up and then you get this again. Um, imagine the difference if she was to say, babe, when you drive like that, it makes me feel a bit, a bit scared. And suddenly something different happens. I'm like, oh, no, no, I don't want my wife to be scared. I, I'm her protector. I'm her head. I'm her feet washer. I'm going to slow down a bit. And suddenly, the, by communicating in feelings rather than in the kind of opinion, we go to a deeper level of connection, a deeper level of communication, and a deeper level um, of being able to share with one another. So here's how it looks. If we could make a continuum of uh, connection... On one end, we've got a slide for this, would be shame, which is that, um, as you say, 
failure that makes me unworthy of connection. And on the other end, you've got empathy, the ability to understand and share feelings. So this is the two ends of, <clears throat> of what it means to be connected. And we kind of do the whole thing of like, you're such a bad driver, and we go towards the same thing. Oh no, you're so rubbish, and I don't like your hair, it's too floppy, and all that kind of stuff. Or the other thing, she doesn't say that, she just buys me a hat. Um, <laughs> that's when I know she buys me a hat. Um, uh, and then the other side, you've got this kind of empathy, which is like being able to understand it and um, <clears throat> connect with one another. We're nearly done, guys, so don't worry. I know it's getting on. Um, so, uh, we, uh, if there was a knob, or a, what should I say, a dial, it's probably a more appropriate word, um, that we could turn to move us towards empathy, it would be vulnerability. It'd be vulnerability. Um, and if there was a hand, that can turn the knob, it would be courage. And so the word courage is based on the word, Latin word core, which means heart. And the, um, the original, when the word courage first came into the English language, it meant this, it meant to speak your mind with your heart and tell your story. That's what courage meant. And so there's this something needs to break the cycle of this ever-increasing disconnection and kind of actually find yourself in a bit of a, a loveless, task-orientated, pragmatic, let's just make sure the kids are okay kind of marriage. And God is, is wanting us to find that place of vulnerability where we can courageously tell our stories to one another and have the empathy to hear one another. Now, here's the big twist. Paul's chatting all about this stuff, about being a man and a woman, what you need and all that kind of stuff. He's doing the whole Mel Gibson thing and putting on makeup and no, he wasn't. Um, but you know, you kind of it's, it's that 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 it feels like that's what it's about. What's actually happening is that he, Paul is showing us the nature. Sorry, I don't know why it does that. It's a technical thing. Um, he's showing us the nature of what it means to be in Christ, because. Submission is heaven's love language. Submission is heaven's love language. Yeah? Because when we look at the way that Christ engages with us, all we see is that place of submission. And in fact, connection is heaven's goal. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> if it was about law, then... That would have come first, and it would have all been about whether or not we're getting stuff right, and so God's natural response to, to breaking of the law, for us being lawbreakers, would be punishment, yeah? But it didn't come first. Covenant came first. Relationship and connection came first. Abraham, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. And he brought covenant first, and he gave us generations of covenant, setting that up as the cornerstone and value of what it's all about. And then, eventually, into that, he spoke the law, and the law came packaged up with atonement. He never set us up to fail. He never set us up to fail. Because actually, law is love. Law is love. That we are in covenant, and in that covenant, we treat one another with love. Jesus summed it up. What's the, how do you sum up the law, Jesus? Not like that. So how do you sum up the Lord Jesus? It's to love 
the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You love your neighbour as yourself. It's all love. So the law is love. So we are in this covenant of love. And, and let that transform your view of law. It's not something to get right or wrong and to be punished for if you do. It's actually a way to live that is best. The most excellent thing. And how familiar is that uh, story of shame? You know, Sin is bad. (laughs) And the wages of sin is death. The heart of sin is this idea of trading God and our connection with him for something else, for something lesser. Law shows us what sin is. It's like the light, the light shining on, on the things that we do to show us what it is. Um, the extremity, the cross, shows us the weight of sin, but also the extravagance of God's love. Um, the point of the cross was not that we would get stuff right and God would go, well done, you got it all right. The point of the cross was that we would have connection with him again. And the whole of salvation history is geared towards us being connected to him, with him, being one with him. Um, the, the, the imagery that, that, that Paul uses is links back into Genesis chapter 2 where it talks about the nature of what it is for a man and a woman to leave their parents and to become one flesh. And, he's, and that's what it's like to be in Christ. Um, but shame, it, it just, it, it's, it's that doubt, isn't it? I'm, do I, am I really connected? And it's just what the devil does. It's like, did God really say that you can't eat any of the trees in the garden. Did, did, did you leave the gas on? You know, did you forget to lock the front door when you left the house tonight? And it's that like, mm. oh no, maybe. I, can, I can literally have gone from the front door to the car and Lucy said, did you lock the door? I'm like, die. <laughs> we got the car and I'm like, Should check now, I did lock it back in the car again because we, you know, we have this capacity for doubt. Yeah. Um, and that was the, the whole kind of construct of, 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 that, of that temptation in Genesis. Um, but God literally, I'm finishing up now, God literally broke the cycle of disconnection by coming in vulnerability. He literally came on bended knee on the cross and said, will you spend the rest of eternity with me? That's literally what he did. He literally came to that place. And um, he laid himself down. He, he suffered on the cross. Um, this, this Ephesians shows us, you know, how we're saved, and then it talks about now we're saved. And it is just this picture of covenant and law, of grace and truth, of connection and love. The only way to peace and confidence, you know, the only way to break the cycle is acceptance. Accepting one another. Submitting to the acceptance of Christ. He breaks the cycle. It's what he's done. We don't achieve it ourselves. He qualifies us. He calls us. He equips us. He chooses us. He's made a decision about us that we would be conformed to the likeness of his son. So he takes this culture of pater familias, the rule of the father, and he changed it. And he made it pater gratia, the father who loves, who lays himself down. That's the culture. So if, what's the response? If you're in Christ, live as Christ. Vulnerability. Submission. We're called to submission. We're called to give up. Give up trying to do it alone. 
Give up settling for something less. Give up filling your life with counterfeit intimacy to submit, to smash down the walls and defences, to find your place of vulnerability and have the courage to fall into his embrace. As we go from here tonight, I'm not going to keep in longer. As we go from here tonight, I want to encourage you to make a choice for vulnerability. To make a choice to break the pattern. To lament any loss of intimacy and connection. And to choose life. I think that um, it's going to be right for some people to go home and have a conversation with their partner. Don't, don't put it off. It's hard, man. It's really hard. And Lucy and I have made a commitment to one another to keep a short account and stuff. And, but it's hard. But don't settle for something less. Don't settle for that disconnection. Don't settle for just a pragmatic arrangement. But it begins with kindness. It begins with vulnerability. And, and if you found to be in the same place in your relationship with Christ, where there's just distance, disconnect, um, don't wait. Respond to his vulnerability. Because he's always there. He, he never stood away from us. Every time we you know, did our thing and kept on moving back and back, he just moved towards us. He's just there. He's just always there. He just keeps moving towards us, keeps moving towards us, pursuing that intimacy, pursuing that connection. He's never far away. And so to turn and submit, to come under his mission, to turn and submit to him, it's just a moment because he's there. Um, what I pray and then we can, we can hold each other and go home. <laughs> Father, we... Um, we love your word. We love the richness of it. There's just so much in it. Father, I pray that um, right now you'll be dropping into our hearts the one thing. It's the one thing that you're speaking to us about. Whether it's for the first time coming to know you, whether it's for the first time saying, Do you know what, I want to get rid of that shame. Whether it's we're in that place of having lost the intimacy lost the connection. Jesus, we respond to you. We submit to you, Jesus. We come under your care. I thought especially for, for those of us with there's a relationship, whether it's a husband and wife or, or a mate or a family member, where we've just allowed that disconnect. And we've permissioned that disconnect and we've um, increased that disconnect with our own insecurity, with our own uh, holding on to the shame. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way. Thank you that we can, with your strength and your courage, share our heart again, find a place of vulnerability again. And I just want to 
bless every marriage in, in, in this place that, that is and will be and speak intimacy and connection fullness of life nothing missing, nothing broken every good and perfect gift every resource and passion poured in Jesus that we might live as you have called us to live that we might be in you in Christ and live as Christ lived to give himself for us I speak reconciliation and healing. Hardened hearts, hearts of stone becoming hearts of flesh. And I speak fullness of life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for sticking with it, guys. Bit of a long one tonight, sorry about that. Um, Be blessed. You're lovely. Um, loved by God, precious to him. Um, Go and be awesome and have a great week. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.